0: This is um, one of the parts of, the, of a service, of a gathering, where oftentimes we'll talk about Um, hearing from God or hearing um, from Scripture, and so I actually want to start today with a little bit of a listening exercise, okay? I'm going to throw some sound effects at you and see if you recognize them, okay? And and some of you will get these right away. Uh, Some of you will have to have some help from your neighbor, but let's just see how we do, all right? So here's the first one. Yeah, Law & Order. I heard it over here. Got a Law & Order fan. I spent most of my lunch breaks in college watching Law & Order. So that kind of takes me back a little bit. These are going to go kind of fast. Here's the second one. Yeah, NBC. Those of you under 25 are like, what's that? It's NBC. Is that like Netflix bought Canada or something? It's NBC. Here's the next one. Yeah, the Mac, really smart people, get that one, really, really smart people, and because we're we're all about, you know, bridging, bill or, or bridge builders here at Grace Point, here's the next one. Microsoft, yes, yes, okay, this one's, a, this next one's a little bit harder, we're kind of reaching back a few years, some of you will remember it, it's a little bit longer than some of them, but here's the next one, see if you can get it. saying it, so. Lost, yes. Lost. I'm still lost from what that show is about, right? Like, what was that? What was that? That's the title sequence from Lost. Here's one that s- most of you will get if, if you don't. Come talk to me after service. Here it is. What was it? Netflix. It's okay to admit you watch Netflix in church. It really is. Netflix. Yes. Okay, we got two left. Here's the second to last one. This one's going to be really hard. Second to last one. Sounds like a thunderstorm, All right? Is it just a normal Kansas thunderstorm? No. This is, this is actually called Castle Thunder. Um, it was um, created in 1931 for the movie Frankenstein. And ever since 1931... Lazy sound technicians have used this in movies and TV shows ever since. You've, you've heard it in comedies. You've heard it in horror movies. You've, if you watch Scooby-Doo, you hear it a lot. That's Castle Thunder, all right? And here's, here's the last one that we will listen to today. This one's hard. Really, really hard. It would have would have sounded like a Monday morning to us, but it was actually Sunday for them the day after Sabbath, where the, the, the city was opening up again. People were flooding back into the market, moving back into the weekly rhythm. Jerusalem was going to be full this week because it was a special week. This is the week of the festival of Passover, and people were just flooding into Jerusalem. In fact, Jesus is going to come into Jerusalem from a little village outside of Jerusalem called Bethany. And he's going to make his way into Jerusalem on this first day of the week when, again, everybody's coming back into the city, except at one point, Jesus intentionally, strategically reaches back to an old prophecy in Zechariah and gets on a colt of a donkey. And we don't think it's that big of a deal, but these Jewish people knew exactly what he was doing because the prophecy in Zechariah said that the Messiah would enter the city on the colt of a donkey, and, and, and they get the reference, and they go bonkers. They go crazy. They get the reference. They're, they're cheering. They're screaming. They're yelling. They're placing these palm branches down on the ground. Some of them putting their coats on the ground, and they start to scream this word that we've, hear, we've heard on Palm Sunday over and over and over, Hosanna. Hosanna, God, save us. God save us, and they're so desperately wanted Jesus to be a political answer to their problems. They would have been okay if he was a military answer to their problems, but Jesus knows these same people that are praising him in this moment in adrenaline-laced moments later on in the week will be the same people to condemn him. So as we begin Holy Week 2021, I want us to walk through these last few days Of Jesus' life, and see if we can't hear the different sounds from those events. They're not as obvious as Netflix. They're not as obvious as Law and Order. I don't have actual recordings of what happened, but if we'll pay attention, if we'll listen to to this with more than our ears, we might just hear something new today. We might just hear something new from from Holy Week. So, you got a Bible. Got a mobile device? I'd love for you to find Mark chapter fourteen. Mark chapter fourteen is where we're going to start. Um, we're now at Thursday of Passover week. Um, Jesus has turned over the tables in the temple. That was Monday. Um, Judas has already decided to betray Jesus. They've had their last supper together, and now Jesus and the remaining eleven are in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right, this is a favorite spot for Jesus to go and to pray. He's taken his inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John, uh, to the side. And now he's praying um, because he knows what's ahead of him. Jesus knows what's coming. And that's where we'll pick it up. He's on his own in Mark 14, verse 35. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you take this cup from me. Now, it would not have been out of the ordinary for a first century Jew to refer to God as Father, but nobody referred to him as Abba. And, and, and if you've been around the church, any church for any length of time, you probably know what that word means in Aramaic, but even knowing what it means, some of us are still a little uncomfortable approaching God with that word. Like, it, it, it doesn't mean Father. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't even mean Dad. It means Daddy. Daddy, there's any other way. Daddy, can can you take this from me? Daddy, I don't want to go there. In the Old Testament, the idea of a cup um, stood for an assignment that was given to you by God. And Jesus is looking at the assignment that he's been given, and it's so vile. It's so terrible that he begins to cry, he begins to, to, to gag, he begins to sweat drops of blood, and we're not comfortable with this. Like, we don't, we don't like Jesus being vulnerable. I mean, if you've been around, you know, people that, that you were, were authoritative in your life, maybe it was a mom, maybe it was a dad, it was a teacher, it was a coach, the very first time you saw them be vulnerable... You weren't sure what to do with that. I still remember the first time I saw my dad cry. I'm just, what do we do do with that? That's what we're seeing in the garden. Jesus, he's pleading, he's screaming, he's crying, he's sweating these drops of blood. Daddy, I don't want to do this. The garden, we hear the sound of doubt. We hear the sound of struggle. But this next part, this was never in question. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus isn't doing anything against his will. God isn't doing anything to him. Jesus is willingly going there. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. This is the sound of surrender. (coughs) Willing surrender. He wakes up his disciples. Judas betrays him with a kiss. He's arrested. He's taken through all kinds of illegal things throughout the night because, well, there's, there's really no other way to say it. The religious leaders just want him dead. They want him gone. And, but they don't have the power to execute him, so they'll have to work with Rome to make that happen. And, and through most of the trial, we talked about this in staff meeting a little bit this week, Jesus is silent. Like he, he, he doesn't speak. He doesn't respond. He doesn't refute. He doesn't answer. Think about this. The one who spoke the universe into existence is silent in the face of lies. He's silent. When he does finally break his silence, it's when they ask him, are you the Messiah? Are you him? Are you the son of the blessed one? And Jesus reaches back to this story in the Old Testament where, where Moses is in the burning bush and God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh. And Moses says, who am I supposed to say sent me? And what does God say? I am. I am. Jesus says, I am not only the Messiah, I am God. I am on par with God, at which point the chief priest tears his clothes. Talked about this a couple weeks ago in the Ecclesiastes series. This, in the ancient world, it's an expression of horror, of rage, of dismay. He's he's not upset that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. Many people before Jesus had done that. He's upset because Jesus has claimed to be on par with God, and he can't handle that. It was blasphemy to the chief priest. And he really, if he didn't already, he wants Jesus dead now. And before they get to that, they, they beat him. They mock him. They spit on him. This is the sound of outrageous injustice. They take him to Pontius Pilate, but they're not going to emphasize the blasphemy part because Rome could care less about that. They're going to emphasize Jesus as a political rebel. They're going to say that Jesus claims to be another king besides Caesar. He's a threat to Rome. That's how they they play it. But see, Pilate's a savvy politician. He sees right through the conspiracy and, and he can tell that this isn't about Jesus. This is about the religious leaders and their jealousy and their insecurity. And so Pilate comes up with a workaround. Pilate comes up with an idea. He's found a way around this. There was a tradition during the festival of Passover where one prisoner was released. And so Pilate thinks, I'm gonna stack the deck so obvious that they have to pick Jesus to be released. I'm gonna give them an either or decision I'm going to let the crowd pick who they want released. Barabbas, the known convicted murderer, or Jesus. Interesting name this convicted murderer has. Barabbas. You see it? Maybe you've never seen it before. What's the word there? Abba. Now you know what that word means. But the Aramaic word bar is son of. So Barabbas is the son of Abba. Pilate doesn't even know what he's saying. <laughs> Pilate doesn't even know the irony of the choice he's presenting to the people. Pilate is saying, Do you want the son of Abba or do you want the son of God? And he thinks it's an obvious choice, but they're wrong. He's wrong. The crowd is stirred up, and they demand the release of the murderer. And to protect his own political interests, to satisfy the crowd, we're told, he releases Barabbas and condemns the one true son of Abba to death. And what we're getting into now is this sound of torture. It's the sound of torture. The Gospel of Mark doesn't focus so much on the physical torture of Jesus as much as he does the spiritual agony That Jesus goes through, but we would be less than honest if we allowed our squeamishness to overlook this. We've talked about flogging before, right? Women weren't allowed to be flogged in the Roman Empire. They weren't even allowed to watch floggings happen. The flogging happened when you took a man and you took his his hands and you tied him up high to expose his torso to a whip that was woven with Um, pieces of broken glass or metal so you could catch chunks of skin on the backstroke. Most people didn't even survive the flogging to get to the crucifixion. They just bled out right there. The ancient historian Josephus said at one point he actually saw internal organs hanging out at the end of a flogging. Domitian, one one of the worst Roman emperors ever, evil, evil, evil man, It's said that when he saw his first flogging up close in person, he was horrified. It shook him. Couldn't get it out of his head. This was only the beginning of the physical suffering of Jesus. After his flogging, they took him back to a company of Roman soldiers. That would be 600 soldiers. And they just play with him. They toy with him. They mock him. Take a crown of thorns and shove it on his head. Strike him with a club, spit on him, pretend he's a king. When they're done with that gruesome game, they take him into the streets and lead him to the place of his execution. History tells us that um, criminals would be forced to carry the crossbeam through the streets to the place of crucifixion. And it could have been the blood loss, it could have been the beatings, it could have been not sleeping the night before. We don't know. But Jesus was too slow. For the Roman soldiers. And so at one point, a bystander, an African, his name was Simon, was forced to carry the crossbeam for Jesus. They eventually get to the place of execution. Golgotha means the place of the skull. And we don't know if it was shaped like a skull or because it was a noted place of death and there were actually skulls on the ground. We 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 don't know why. What we do know from history is that before Romans crucified someone, before you actually put them on the cross with nails, you shamed them by stripping them naked. Not partially naked like you see in the paintings or the statues. It's hard to even imagine. It's hard to say it. But Jesus, the Son of God, is stripped naked before everyone there. Mark tells us, after he's nailed to the cross, early on in that process, Jesus is offered a narcotic, wine mixed with myrrh. And Jesus refuses it. He will go into this moment fully conscious, feeling everything, seeing everything. He was hung between two criminals, Roman soldiers, gambling for the clothes they'd just taken off of him. Above his head hung a sign mocking him as the king of the Jews. Think about this. Read the Gospels. Think about all the times that Jesus refused any political title or position. He refused it. They wanted to make him king. He refused it. And in one of the greatest ironies of all time, he's crucified as a political prisoner of Rome. That's injustice. It's torture. And in addition to the physical torture, there's an emotional abuse that begins to happen. His opponents show up. They're mocking him. If you you are who you say you are, why don't you come down from the cross? And and these crosses are not 10 to 15 feet in in the air like we see in the movies. They're they're down low to the ground. They were down close so on highly public roads, so so people were shamed. Rome used it as a deterrent to, to future troublemakers, which means Jesus is pretty much eye to eye with the very people who lied to put him there. Jesus is eye to eye with the very people he's dying for in that moment. And they're just mocking him. It happens from nine to noon, at which point different things start to happen. Look at verse 33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Some will refer to science to explain what's going on here. It was probably an eclipse, but... It was perfectly light from nine to noon. It's normal, and then from three from noon to three, it's dark. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, we got to experience um, an eclipse just a few years ago, right? And some of you traveled up north to be more in the path of the eclipse. Was it dark for three hours? No. 10, 15 minutes tops, maybe, right? Besides that, common sense tells us you couldn't have had a solar eclipse then because solar eclipses don't happen when the moon is full. And we know the moon is full because it's Passover. Passover happens at the full moon in the month of Nisan. It also couldn't have been a dust storm that often kicks up in the Middle East because this is during the rainy season. So what's happening here? What's going on? History is a little bit fragmented, but you can go back to um, a Greek historian by the name of Phlegon, P-H-L-E-G-O-N. Fact check me this afternoon, Phlegon. He writes a 14-volume history about 100 years after um, this time. And he describes something that happens in the early 30s A.D. He didn't call it the early 30s A.D. He called it the 202nd year of the Olympiad, but it was actually the early 30s A.D. And he talks about this day, that at noon, (laughs) the sky grew so dark that you could see the stars in the heavens. What I'm suggesting, what I believe Mark is telling us happening, is this is is supernatural. But the way to understand it is to think of it as judgment. Darkness in Scripture is often associated with judgment. Think about um, the, the darkness that happened in Egypt when Pharaoh's heart hardened. You can go to, to, the, to, to the prophet Amos where he talks about the sun going down at noon and darkness happening in broad daylight. What's happening here is judgment which is also where the high-browed among us and the sophisticated get off the train because now I'm talking about sin and very few people like talking about sin. Nobody likes to hear that they've fallen short of God's standard. Nobody likes to really hear how much it matters to God, but it does. It matters to God when you and I ignore God's commands, when we mock his love, when we treat those around us made in his image terribly, when we tear into them with our words and our actions, when we treat them with indifference, when we wreck the world God created, it creates a gap between us and God. Romans 5, Paul says in Romans 5 is that we're so far from God in that moment that we're actually enemies with him. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be God's enemy. And God says, I'm, I'm not going to be mocked at the end of the end of this thing. I get the last word. And we don't like hearing it. We don't like talking about it, but this, what's happening here, this is the sound of judgment. And if you want to understand the cross, if you want to understand what happened there, if you want to claim that Jesus died for your sins, then you have to understand how big of a deal sin is to God. In the end, justice will be served. Evil will be quarantined. He will not be mocked. And here's the good news. You and I don't have to get caught up in that judgment. You can be protected. Yes, God will have the last say, but you don't have to go through it because that's what the cross is. The cross is God's judgment on sin. If It's Jesus taking what should be mine. Because see, it wasn't just Barabbas replaced on that cross. It was me. It was you. Jesus replaced us on the cross. The old British preacher, John Stott, said it this way. This is a really deep quote, but it makes sense when you sit with it for a second. He says, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Do so you, know, you know what sin is? It's, it's you saying you're God. It's you deciding, I don't need God. It's putting yourself in the place of God. You know what salvation is? It's God putting himself in place of you. It's him taking your place on the cross. When, when God takes what we deserve on the cross and substitutes himself for us, <laughs> we find a way out. We're, we're given a way out. Mark goes on, verse 34. Three in the afternoon. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, Why? Have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. Some scholars say he's singing Psalm 22. You should go back and read it sometime this week. It's a powerful, powerful psalm written about a thousand years before this took place. This is a cup. Jesus didn't want to drink. Think about it. All the moral failures, all the betrayals, the hatred, the racism, the greed, the violence, all of the silent sins that destroy us from the inside out throughout all of human history. Past, present, future is piled onto Jesus in that moment. And Jesus isn't just losing his life. Tim Keller says in one of his books that he's, for the first time in history, he's being cut out of the dance. He's he's experienced relationship with the Father since before time. And for the first time in history, he's cut out of the dance. Jesus never stopped being God. Jesus, he never sinned. But in this mysterious moment, the Father turns from him because he's so piled up with sin and Jesus cries out my god my god why have you forsaken me remember in, the, in in the garden he calls him abba on the cross he calls him god this is the sound of desperation it's the sound of lament and then mark says in verse 37 with a loud cry jesus breathed his last The word cry there is, is used in other Greek literature. Homer actually uses it in the Iliad to describe the howling of the sea. Jesus is howling from the cross. There's other Greek literature. It's used, don't miss this, to describe the roar of a lion. Are you kidding me? The lion of Judah is roaring from the cross. this is the sound of atonement. This is the moment right here in history where you and I are given away to be at one with God, at one month. This is atonement. And a Roman centurion watching all this happen, he's face to face with it. He's the guy in charge of it. And he's shaken He's shaken to the core. Something starts to happen in his heart. But before we get to that, let's state the obvious. This is a bad dude. This is a bad guy. He's he's the leader of soldiers in an army, notorious for torture, for rape, for destruction, for trying to wipe out entire people groups. He's done it all. He's seen it all. He's commanded other soldiers to do it all. The sight, the sound, the smell of death, of torture. There was nothing that could surprise this guy. (laughs) But when he heard, when he saw Jesus die, something happened inside, and I think it was by the grace of God, he exclaims, surely this man was the son of God. This is, this is the moment where, where Mark is leading to throughout his entire gospel. Go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. It starts with, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And do you know who the first person in the gospel of Mark says with their mouth that Jesus is the Son of God? <laughs> his executioner. The outsider. The pagan the one who didn't grow up learning the Old Testament. It's the centurion. This is the sound of confession. And I just got to stop here for a second and say this. For anyone here today or watching this online who has so much sin piled up on you that it's just tearing you, your heart off, piece by piece, for anyone choked by fear, For anyone here who's tired of pretending you have it all together? For anyone here who has something in your past that you just can't get past? For anyone here who's an outsider, no matter how you define that? Did you know you've been invited into a relationship with Jesus? And did you know one of the first ones to decide that Jesus was in fact the son of God was the one killing him? Did you know it doesn't matter if you're an outsider? Did you know that you can have so much junk piled up on you and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross can still apply to you? This is the sound of confession. Surely this man was the son of God. Jesus, one more tiny verse with huge implication, Mark tells us at this very moment. Verse 38, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Temple is where God taught his people in images and metaphors and object lessons. The temple is where people came to learn and to participate in God's holiness, in, in their sin, and their need for sacrifice. But there's, there's this one place in the temple, the most sacred place, the place where the very presence of God dwelt. This is where heaven and earth meet, the holy of holies. The problem is you could never go into the Holy of Holies because there was a curtain there. It, was, it kept them from going in. It was more than a curtain. It was a barrier. It was a wall. This thing was four inches thick, woven with, with blue and scarlet twisted linen. One ancient historian says it took over 300 men to get it up off the ground. Two horses pulling on the opposite sides of this thing. Couldn't tear it at all. This is more than grandma's doily, right? Right? <laughs> This is more than that moldy shower curtain in your dorm room. This is way more than some heavy theatrical curtain on a a stage. This, This thing's a wall. And it separated the most holy place from the rest of the temple. It separated the most holy place from the rest of Israel, even from the rest of the world. I mean, the high priest was only allowed to go in there one day a year on the Day of Atonement. And Mark says right here, that this barrier has been destroyed, but do you notice where it starts? The top down. This is God's doing. This is God saying because of what my son just did outside at Golgotha, there now stands no more barrier, no more wall. You get to come to me freely because my son has taken care of your sin. There's another a commentator who, who says this another way. He says, when the high priest tears his garments, it's out of horror and rage. And even though it's not recorded, is it possible that when Jesus is howling in agony, when the price is being paid, that God the Father, in horror and agony, tears the temple curtain in two as a way to say this, this is God's sorrow, Right? This is the sound of God's sorrow, but it's also the sound of freedom. It's the sound of access. It's the sound of relationship, because the power and glory of God no longer lives in temples made by man. It lives in the people of God. It lives in the people who trust Jesus. Think about it this way. Um, the night before my son Cole was born, I was playing basketball with a couple guys here from the church and city league here in town. And I, I tore the ACL in my left knee. I didn't know I tore the ACL in my left knee. And I didn't know my son was going to be born the next morning. But we go home. Um, I'm, I'm in bad shape, right? So my very, very pregnant wife is taking care of me, tucking me in for the night. And, and she comes to me very early in the morning and says, it's time to go to the hospital. And so we go to the hospital. Um, I'm actually the one in the wheelchair, but that's another story for another time. (sighs) Never live this down. Now, I don't know if they still do it, but at that point at Stormont Vale, every time a baby was born, they would play a lullaby throughout the intercom system, throughout the whole hospital, right? Right? And so in the beginning stages of labor, things were going kind of slow, I'm in pain, not as much as my wife is, just make sure I say that, okay? And I'm hobbling around, I can't put any weight on my leg whatsoever, and so we decided that I would go to the ER to get my knee checked out. And for the couple hours that I was in the ER, there was a couple babies that were born. And the most terrifying noise to me in that moment was that... Dumb lullaby. Right? I heard it at least a couple times, and I'm thinking, oh Lord, please don't let that be my son, right? See, don't 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 miss this. It was the most terrifying sound to me that announced new life. It was the most terrifying sound to me in that moment, at, at that point in my life. But it was announcing. New birth. See, the sounds that we hear from the cross, the sounds we hear in these accounts of that first Holy Week, sometimes they're not easy to listen to. They are terrifying. They don't fit. (laughs) They don't fit inside of our nice, neat, American-protected bubble. But those terrifying sounds are the sounds that announce a brand-new kind of life. And I don't know if I could tell this story today if I didn't know it was coming next week. Like this is, this is tough. So as we enter Holy Week 2021, some of us are ready to go through this week. Some of us are excited for whatever reason. Some of us just think it's another week. Some of us can't wait to get till next week. But, but as we prepare for Easter, my prayer, my hope, my desire for you is that you'll take time to listen to the terrifying sounds of the cross that you'll listen to his word this week that you'll read it that you'll hear it that you that, that even the difficult places and it'll be more than a story it'll be more than a ritual more than a holiday i pray that you'll listen for the healing that's available the forgiveness that's available the grace that's available, that you'll listen to the offer of a new kind of life in Jesus that's available. And as you listen, because I believe God speaks, as you'll listen to him speak grace and truth over you, it won't just be another Easter Sunday. It won't be just another holiday, another ritual that we go through, but it'll actually be the sound of hope it'll be the sound of new life. It'll be the sound of a new kind of life. Because this week is the tough stuff. But next week is the sound of resurrection. Let's pray. God in heaven, man, we would completely miss it if we didn't thank you if we didn't take a moment and just pause as individuals to thank you for the cross, to thank you for willingly surrendering yourself, for sacrificing, for going through what you went through, not just the physical, but the separation, the spiritual, the relational separation that you experienced. Now, we we can't even imagine, we can't get our minds around it, it's too big, it's too mysterious, but maybe it's just me. I accept it. I revel in it. I glory in it. Because as Paul said, if, if this did not happen, we are to be pitied among all people. Jesus, we want to be men and women. I certainly want us to be the kind of church that takes sin seriously enough, not to overlook the cross, not to ignore it, but to stare at it, to think about it, to deal with the implications of it. We don't want to just rush through and get to Easter, but we are so, so grateful that we're on the other side of this. We can see how your plan worked out all the way to Jesus and how it's still working out in your church today. God, would you help us throughout this week to hear, to listen? to what you have to say to us. We're we're coming, all of us, from different backgrounds. We're facing different things as individuals, as families, as couples, as, 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 as a country, wherever we find those relational circles. God, would you speak to us this week as we spend time in your word, as we spend time in prayer, as we prepare ourselves to celebrate your resurrection? Would you make this real to us? Would you make it fresh to us this year? And in the end, it's it's not just about making it fresh. It's not just about making it new because we do want to tie ourselves to to this tradition that we've celebrated for the last 2,000 years. In the end, it is about who you are, who we are in you, and what you're doing in this world, what you're doing in eternity. God, we want to be about that. So speak. We want to listen. We want to hear. We want to see what this looks like for us today. We ask this, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See you next week.